This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Psychedelia program page. The current measures are based on fear. Good afternoon and thank you for tuning in to 3CR or you might be watching this uh, on YouTube. Either way, we are live on 3CR 855 AM, 3cr.org.au or 3CR Digital if you're in Melbourne uh, right now. Thank you very much to Freedom of Species back next week from 1pm. If you miss something from them, Freedom of Species program page, 3cr.org.au, head there. Uh, And if you are in a position where you can contribute to the work that 3CR uh, does, then you can become a supporter uh, and donate to 3CR Uh, 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the donate page. Um, We haven't been able to do the same fundraising activities that we normally do at 3CR this year. Um, Normally we'd have uh, our uh, our 3CR radiothon when we'd have everybody on board. We'd have lots of live shows, a bit of a party atmosphere at the studios, but the studios have been run by the hum of a computer lately. So I'm uh, broadcasting to you again live from my lounge room um, because uh, that's how we do now. We're a program dedicated to talking all things drugs, uh, and it's been an interesting year for all things uh, drugs. And we're going to hear a little bit about uh, some of the um, some of the news about what's been going on around uh, Australia over the past uh, week. Um, also, a bit later in the program, hearing from uh, families of people uh, who. Uh, well, families of, of people who have uh, passed away from overdose or have been severely affected by overdose. Uh, on Monday, it was International Overdose Awareness Day uh, and Yarra Drug Health Forum held an event uh, with uh, family members and uh, there was also uh, Martin Foley uh, MP, the Minister for Mental Health, Fiona Patton, uh, mem- uh, member for the Northern Metropolitan Region, also from the Reason Party, uh, and Tim Reid, uh, member for Brunswick, uh, also a Greens representative, uh, in Victoria, all giving their supportive messages uh, to basically ending what is a very uh, preventable uh, way of dying. Nobody has to die of overdose. Uh, naloxone will reverse um, overdose. Uh, and there is actually HR Vic, uh, Harm Reduction Victoria, are doing naloxone training. Uh, and if you are in Victoria um, and you sign up for their uh, training, then I believe that you receive free naloxone at the end as well. So if it is something that you want to learn about, if it's something that's within your group of friends, your family, or you yourself, um, are somebody who uses uh, an opiate-based substance, having naloxone on hand is essential. Uh, head to the website, hrvic.org.au. As I said, live on 3CR, we also have um, some bits and pieces on our YouTube page, so please uh, head along to youtube.com and you can find uh, the Encyclopedia YouTube there. Easiest thing, though. This is the 3CR website because everything is there. Uh, my name is Nick and um, across uh, from me today is Jack. Jack, how are you doing? Good, Nick. Um, been a busy week this week for a lot of drug news. Um, keen to get into it and tell you all the latest. Uh, if you want to sign up for uh, your weekly updates of drug news, the website is drugswrap.substack.com. That's uh, substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. Uh, Jack, uh, heading to our first story, treating mental illness with mushies and MDMA. Or oh, you can tell this one's from Triple J. Uh, it's the hack with the regulator wants to know what you think. Um, just the description of mushies. <laughs> what, what are we hearing about here? So last week in the news, I reported on the TGA application that was lodged by My Medicine Australia on the rescheduling of MDMA and psilocybin for use in psychotherapy. That actually got a lot of traction over the week, um, picked up a lot of different news articles, and a lot of places were sort of claiming that this is going to be a wholesale legalization of MDMA and psilocybin. Obviously, that's not really going to happen. What's happening is a rescheduling from Schedule 9 to Schedule 8, which means it'll be slightly easier for people to prescribe this, but there's going to be a whole lot of different regulations and loopholes to jump through in action in action. In, to be able to actually get hold of that. Um, so, yeah, this week just kind of full of those different stories and, and Triple J Hag here have obviously done a piece uh, on that. So it's going to be a story that I think is going to develop over the next few months. Um, I think the TGA are looking to make a decision by February. So I'm sure we'll just be hearing a lot about this over the next four or five months. 
Uh, just for a little uh, educational part as well here. So uh, the TGA is our federal regulator, um, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. It's their job to regulate all therapeutic goods, uh, therapeutic devices. Anything that makes a claim um, that it's going to heal you in some way is generally regulated by the TGA, which includes complementary medicines, which is also alternative medicines. Um, those products are also regulated by the TGA. Uh, generally, the TGAs, uh, if it's scheduled by the TGA, then uh, the states will schedule it in the same way. And Schedule 9 means a prohibited substance uh, of which uh, it can be abused or misused and the manufacture sale, etc., uh, is highly controlled. It's really hard to access. Schedule 8, almost the same. Schedule 8, you need... Uh, you, the uh, Access is, is really difficult as well. You still need, um, I think it's ministerial um, uh, permission, um, and there is still an assumption in there that a Schedule 8 substance has a high potential for abuse, misuse, physical or psychological... Uh, uh, yeah, physical or psychological dependence. So the change from Schedule 9 to Schedule 8 really only gives a, um, <coughs> a small window for a small amount of people to be able to access that. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me, um, heading to Channel 9 <coughs> to a current affair with overdose, oh, Channel 9 News, but a current affair, overdose disaster kills more Australians than the road toll and drownings. So... Last week, the Pennington Institute um, released the findings of their annual overdose report, and they kind of show that, you know, overdoses are still on the rise. Um, Opioid-based overdoses are, you know, particularly harmful at the moment, and they're causing a lot of issues. Um, John Ryan spoke to, who's the, the CEO of the Pennington Institute, he spoke to Channel 9 and spoke about the findings of the report, which are, which are pretty tough, like pretty grim reading. Um, and this week marks, as you said at the start of the program, um, International Overdose Awareness Day. And a lot of, a lot of places are covering, um, covering these statistics because they obviously give, um, a bit of an, a bit of a view into, into that world. Um, Ryan here in this article, he's really at pain to, to stress that the government's not doing nearly enough to address these issues. And they're not helped by the fact that drug use is treated as a criminal issue. Um, he says that the scale of the problem is not matched by the scale of the response. And the, the story here is that it's like a factor of 10, how many people are dying from overdoses versus people drowning or, or people dying on our roads. So it's a, it's a huge problem. Yeah, Over yeah. to watoday.com.au, the tourist hotspot that's uh, become regional WA's drug overdose capital. So WA Today also responding to the findings of another report from the Australian Institute of Criminology, um, which was a study released last Tuesday. Um, this found significant drops in meth use in Perth throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So you might think that that's a good story, but actually the, the broader, broader issue here is that because of border closures, um, people are not able to move drugs into WA quite as easily. And the cost of drugs has absolutely skyrocketed. Um, I think back in January, a single dose of, of meth was $30 and it's gone up to now $500. <clears throat> so people with addictions are turning to all sorts of different ways to sort of get their fix. And, and one of those is something called home bake heroin, um, altering methadone to make it more similar to heroin. And it's causing a lot of issues over there in, in WA. Just one of those unintended consequences of uh, border closures and, yeah. Um, PonderingPot.com.au, uh, which is uh, Australia's leading cannabis news source. I wonder if that's a true fact. Uh, Medibis, Medibis? Medibis unveil plans for $180 million medical cannabis facility. So... This week, it's it's another one of these record-breaking cannabis venture stories. Seems to happen every week. Yeah. Um, Metabis, and another company that I'd actually never heard of, but they've unveiled plans for yeah, $180 million medical cannabis facility, which is being built with the help of government as well. Um, and that's going to be up in Toowoomba, which is a place that's now being referred to as the cannabis capital of Australia. A lot of facilities up there. And yeah, it's just another of these stories about the developing um, medical cannabis industry and market in, well, not the market, but the industry certainly in, in Australia. 
just seeing there that a poll conducted by the Queensland newspaper, The Chronicle, has uh, 81% of respondents believing there should be more medical cannabis farms in Toowoomba. So obviously, uh, a lot of I wonder if uh, if those uh, same respondents also believe that it should be legal for a wider market. Maybe when they see the dollar signs coming in for these farmers, we'll see. Um, uh, over to the uh, Canada to the CBC, cbc.ca, decriminalisation of drugs, not a silver bullet for overdose crisis, uh, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says. Right. So this is a bit of a turnaround from the overall trend that's been happening in Canada recently. Um, I think I've reported over the last few weeks that uh, Canada has really had a lot of support for decriminalization. You know, health chiefs, chiefs of police have been coming out and saying that this is going to be something that they really want to do because there's a big um, overdose issue going on in Canada at the moment. And that's only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Justin Trudeau was asked about it in an interview last week, and he said that actually he doesn't really think that decriminalization is going to be as effective as a lot of people are suggesting, which seems like, um, you know, he's not really listening to the evidence here and he's not really listening to his, um, his top advisors. He's actually said that he'd rather focus on a safe supply of opioids to people with addictions and that he does understand that actually the opioid crisis is very much a health issue and should be treated as such rather than a justice issue. But, you know, even saying that, he's not looking to, to change the laws around that. So a bit of a mixed bag, and it kind of does put a downer on, on, the, on the direction in which Canada was travelling. Uh, MarijuanaMoment.net, House to vote on historic marijuana legalisation bill next month, leadership announces. So... This is also a developing story. It's been it's been reported on sort of widely. The MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. It's always good when they can get all the letters in there. Um, <laughs> They've they've basically brought that forward, and there's been an email that's gone around in the House of Congress, which has said that it's very likely that they're going to vote upon this in September in this month, and that act will federally deschedule cannabis. So at the moment, obviously, a lot of states have individual rights over whether they, you know, want to criminalize or decriminalize cannabis or not. This is federally going to change the the legal status of cannabis. It would also remove all the records of those with prior marijuana convictions, um, which is a huge step. And it would also impose a federal 5% tax on sales, the revenue of which is going to be reinvested in communities most impacted by the drug war. So that's hopefully coming this month. Jumping continents now to the Africa uh, That's the Africa Report.com. Uh, drugs. Let's admit we were wrong. Yeah, so this is a really, really interesting article here, and it's co-authored by the former president of Nigeria and the former president of South Africa. And these two guys have basically come out and publicly stated that they were wrong about the way that they treated drugs in their administrations. And it's a pretty heartfelt kind of discussion of drug policy and drug policy failures. Um, within Nigeria and within South Africa. And they actually link the policies that they followed as being sort of remnants of colonial era doctrines and essentially them following um, what European powers decided was sort of culturally relevant and you know politically relevant for those countries, even though they believed now and they they say this, that they don't think that they're right for, for Africa. Um, and so both of these guys are for, are. Um, current members of the Global Commission on Drug Policy. And I, I just think it's a really, really interesting piece there. Yeah, it's um, good to see. Um, we, uh, In fact, on our, uh, our YouTube channel, we spoke to a, uh, uh, a professor from Durban University, which is in South Africa, um, who works with harm reduction organisations in South Africa. So you can watch that. In fact, I'll put a link, I think, here uh, so that you can go and uh, check that one out. Um, but that was, you know, because we don't... I, don't hear a lot of uh, African news, but we have heard more. There's also Students for Sensible Drug Policy in Nigeria um, that we hear a little bit from. In fact, I think I got uh, uh, some people might be watching the um, the, the YouTube channel and, and checking that out. Um, so it's, you know, always good. Um, and if you do have any stories, uh, if you are somebody that is watching and uh, there's something that you think we should be covering, uh, get in contact with us. Uh, you'll find a way to get in contact with us in the uh in, in the dialogue box or just go to 3cr.org.au and find our program page. Uh, finally this week, uh, from stockheads.com.au, Weed Week, six weeks out, New Zealand's cannabis referendum is still on a knife knife's edge. 
Yeah. So with the obviously the postponement of the New Zealand election due to COVID, that was due to take place in September. And at the same time, they were having a referendum on on cannabis legalization. Um, That's been pushed back because of the pandemic. So it's given the yes and the no campaign another six weeks to try and make their arguments. And Stockhead, which is a business, you know, reporting website, they are showing that the country appears to be pretty evenly split on the decision. I think it's 49.5% yes and no at the same time currently. So it was looking like the yes vote was kind of steaming ahead there, but now they've seemed to have been pulled back a little bit and, you know, who knows what's going to happen over the next six weeks. And the result over there in New Zealand is probably going to have a pretty significant impact on Australia as well. Um, given that, you know, a yes vote would obviously start changing things for um, producers and, and growers over here. So it'll, it'll be interesting to watch that. If you want to find out more about any of the stories uh, we have been talking about with uh, Jack Ravel from uh, Drugs Rap, uh, the link is drugswrap.substack.com and you can then sign up for that uh, weekly update. Uh, Jack, thanks very much for keeping us up to date. Yeah, all the best, Nick. Take care. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. Tune in to Uprise Radio every first and third Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR. With Jackson and James, we're bringing you the in-depth analysis of what's happening in the world all in just 30 minutes. You can listen live to air or you can find us on demand. 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned. You're listening to 3CR 855am on digital and on the internet. www.3cr.org.
From the Dumont EP by Salt Fiend, that's F-E-E-N-D, from uncomfortablebeats.com. You can find them uncomfortablebeats.bandcamp.com. That track is Float on In Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. You can also find parts of our show on our YouTube channel, uh, bits of interviews, uh, the drugs rap segment um, where we get the update on the week in drug news from Australia and around the world. That's with uh, Jack Ravel, the editor of uh, Drugs Rap. Um, and you can subscribe to that, drugsrap.substack.com. Uh, for the rest of the program today, uh, we are going to be hearing from the families uh of uh, people who have um, been affected by overdose. It was International Overdose Awareness Day on Monday, the 31st of August. Every year, it's International Overdose Awareness Day. Um, sites across Melbourne were lit up purple. If you were outside for whatever reason at night time, not past 8pm, and you might have seen that the uh, Flinders Street Station uh, was lit up blue, uh, lit up purple. Melbourne Town Hall, uh, the... Bridge, Bolt Bridge, Bolty Bridge um, was lit up purple as well. That was all for International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, most of what anybody will have seen of that is on social media. Um, there were a lot of lonely looking Melbourne sites uh, looking purple, but maybe that's, uh, I don't know, does that fit in with the kind of idea of a day that is essentially a day of remembrance? Also to remember that these are preventable deaths. YDHF.org.au is the Yarra Drug and Health Forum website uh, where you can find a uh, link to the event Compassion Not Judgment, which was held uh, also broadcast on YouTube, on their YouTube channel. Um, That was for International Overdose Awareness Day, supported by APOD, the Alcohol Prescription and Other Drugs Family Network, the Addiction and Family International Network, AFINET, Harm Reduction Victoria, uh, Victorian Alcohol and Drugs Association, VADA, the Aaron Short Awareness Association, of which Sheree um, was one of the main organisers of this event. And um, Sheree, if you're listening, thank you and... um, you know, for all, all that you do, and to everybody that contributed on that day. Also, North Richmond Community Health and the Medically Supervised Injecting Room uh, and Family Drug Support, all supporters on that day. Uh, some of the uh, families that you'll be hearing from, uh, Mick Colton, um, Sherry Short, uh, and Debbie Warner, who is from APOD, um, also might be hearing from... Uh, we'll, we'll get to as many of them as we can uh, before three o'clock, um, but you won't be able to get to all of them because it was a, an hour and a half event. This is only an hour long show and I am rambling on, but you are going to hear from Dick, Dr. Nico Clark, medically supervised injecting room, Siani Crawford from Harm Reduction Victoria, Sam Biondo from VADA, the Victorian Alcohol and Drugs Association and Professor Margaret Hamilton. This is in Psychedelia. So, hello everyone. Um, my name's Margaret Hamilton, and I have the privilege of speaking with you on Overdose Awareness Day, uh, a very important day for remembering and for coming together and sharing. This is not about policy or politics, it's actually about people. It's about people who are living, about people who have lived and who are remembered. And people who may have experienced an overdose, but we don't know about that or we don't know whether it's been a lethal overdose or whether it's been an overdose among many that that person has already experienced. Not all overdoses necessarily end in death, which is why we have to work so hard to identify people with that experience and provide support and assistance to them to reduce the likelihood that that will end in death. But for some, it has already meant that someone has died. And usually that starts with the realisation way earlier 
that someone close to us, someone in the family is actually using drugs, using drugs in a manner that puts them at risk of all sorts of harm, including the risk of death. That realisation can sometimes provoke a sense of what have I done, what could I have done, what should I be doing, why didn't I pick up on the early signs, what's the problem? And a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-blame, a lot of recrimination, a lot of sadness and a lot of grief, um, guilt grief, loneliness. And I think for many, that sense of the loved one being a child, if you're a parent, a parent, if it's a child who is mourning the death of someone, a brother, a sister, a cousin, or a friend, or maybe even an acquaintance who at some point realised they could have done something to intervene and prevent that death. It's very tough being that kind of family member that is left behind to think about the person who's died and what we could have done. Could I have been a better parent? Should I have done more? Should I have tried whatever? Dot, dot, dot. There will always be things that we think of that we perhaps could have, should have, maybe tried. Maybe the person was not ready to receive that help. Maybe the person was not in a position to receive the help. Or maybe even harder, if they asked for help, but I was not in a position to give the kind of help they were asking for at that time. There are many, many reasons why we wonder if somehow we were responsible We carry a load, not just of the sadness of grief, but also of the guilt of grief. I think that guilt is one of the hardest things to rid oneself of. And associated with that for many who have had someone in the family die of an overdose of drugs, there's also a layer of shame. And getting to the other side of that shame and that guilt requires acceptance. Acceptance of the person who was using drugs, acceptance of them and their manner of using drugs, the choices they made or the circumstances that they found themselves in or put themselves in that has contributed to an overdose experience. That kind of acceptance can come best through greater knowledge, greater understanding, but especially through sharing, sharing the experience, being able to talk about that son, that daughter, mother or father, sibling, friend, being able to talk about them and remember positive things as well as sometimes negative or frustrating or angry or all kinds of experiences and thoughts. The endless efforts that families have gone to to try to assist their drug-using member. The difficulty of continuing to provide support, of different kinds of advice, tough love advice suggesting that you reject the child while they're using. Not helpful probably because no parent or sibling can ultimately reject a family member. How to care for someone who doesn't seem to respond to our caring can be very hard. But getting information, sharing the experience with others, the loss and the pain, often the grief that many have already been through layers of along the way. Death sometimes is merely an added load of grief on top of many little griefs as bits of your family member have become less accessible to you over time. And the sense that you really will struggle 
sometimes, I think, to cope. I've always found the mantra of many of the self-help or mutual aid groups most helpful. The one day at a time. You don't have to get through tomorrow or next week, next month or next year or the annual anniversary. You just have to get through today. And sharing with others can be a good way of doing that. Over time, some healing occurs and it becomes important to remember the good, the bad, and the sometimes ugly. Time becomes important too, and I think for many who've experienced a family member overdosing and dying as a result of drug use, the involvement of the coroner becomes tedious and frustrating. And I thank everyone who has contributed to sharing the waiting involved sometimes, because it's um, sometimes it's been the coroner's cumulative experience of a number of overdose deaths that has contributed to the powerful intervention of the coroner here in Victoria that facilitated policy shift and the opportunity for us to have a medically supervised injecting room. So all who have had family members die of an overdose death have helped because those coroner's findings coming together has meant that others' lives have been saved. I don't know and can't know what it is like to have a child die of an overdose death or another family member. I've been fortunate. I have had the experience of family members using alcohol and a range of other drugs in a way that I've regretted. But touch wood, none of them have had the tragic circumstance of dying of an overdose death. But I have had the experience of a child dying. My son David died when he was seven and a half months old. Very young, a very different experience. But I share with you that it took me a very long time to accept that there was nothing more that I could have done that could have saved his life. And that allowed me to go back to remember the positive experiences with him. For me to have other children and to now have not only three stepchildren, two additional children who are still alive, seven grandchildren who are step-grandchildren, and most recently, just six weeks ago, my own granddaughter, Nellie, born to my youngest daughter. So anniversaries come and they go, but Overdose Awareness Day is a very important time for families who are needing the support of others wanting to support others, to understand others, to come together. So I wish you well on Monday and hope that all goes well for you. Just on Monday, one day at a time, sometimes helps. Thank you. Thank you, Yarra Dragon Health Forum. Thanks for the opportunity to join you on this important occasion. I'm now going to uh, introduce uh, uh, Mike Clear, uh, Mick Clear, sorry, Mick, uh, Mick Clear, father of Leah Clear, who's going to share with us uh, his story. Um, I, I will mute myself and um, hand over to Mick now. Thank you very much, Mick. My name is Mick Clear. I'm a father of four children, uh, grandfather of three children. I come from a small town and live in a small town of St Andrews, north of Melbourne. Um, I'll start my story at the end and go back to the start. This will hopefully give you a, a better perspective and understanding of the point of my speech tonight. Um, in May of last year, uh, my daughter died of an uh, overdose and the way I found out was two policemen walking up the driveway late at night when I was collecting firewood. And, of course, my life has changed forever since that day. <laughs> it was the end of a long journey, a long, long journey, full of sadness, torment and heartbreak and, and struggle. 
but also a journey of, of triumph, success and enlightenment. My daughter's life was a beautiful one amidst the chaos and struggle. There were many lessons to be learned from people like my daughter, Leah, who have been there, recovered, and we need to learn from these valuable lessons so we can help future generations combat this hideous problem. Leah was born into a loving family environment. Indeed, she was loved by all the moment she graced this earth, a cheeky, always smiling little girl with an infectious giggle and cutest smile. She grew up to be a live wire personality, intelligent, witty and naturally inquisitive. We always thought, like most parents do, she was destined for, to be something special. Her literacy skills at the very early age were amazing and journalism seemed to be her destiny. When Leah was 14, something changed. The light that once shone from her bright blue eyes had dimmed. The radiance that had beamed from that beautiful smile had gone and the playful child had disappeared. We then learned Leah was experimenting with drugs, but at the time we were unaware of the types, type of drugs or the regularity of the use. This is the critical moment for parents. We are talking about a child, our baby, what to do, what the, the panic, the unsurety. Well, what do we do? Well, of course, we kick into the parenting mode. Like, this is going to stop right now, right? So the good, loving parent takes over and in control, right? Just sit down and, you know, give that young girl a good lecture and a couple of weeks of uh, isolation and we'll sort this thing out, right? We were so wrong. And it's only after these years that I now understand how wrong we were. You see, by the time we parents find out about a drug issue, the horse has already bolted. Your child, your baby has basically left the building, but you still kick into what you know. You do the good parenting thing. You react without knowing what the hell you are doing because you know nothing about addiction. So we sought out help from local counselling services. One thing I remember so well was the younger, young counsellor, fresh out of uni, I thought to myself, told us to expect the long road ahead. I was stunned and not wanting to believe what she was saying. Yes, I admit I was dismissive and doubted what she was saying. We were talking about a 14-year-old here. Just a bit of tough love would have fixed it all right. Wrong again. And that young counsellor was so spot on. Leah spent the next 10 years in and out of rehab, in and out of our lives, and all this time I expected the police to knock, come knocking on the door with bad news. It was the darkest time for Leah and for us, her family. We were powerless to save her from herself. We lived in hope alone. It seemed as if she disowned her family. It seemed that she didn't want to know or have anything to do with us, almost like she hated us. Leo eventually rose from the depths of her dark world and with some determination, the same determination and love of life that she had as a child, she came clean and blossomed. Nothing was going to get in her way. She was shining. She was back. Immeasurable. To see her sparkle return was joyous as anything I've ever experienced. Indeed, it still gives me so much comfort through my grief. Leah went back to uni and studied psychology, passed with distinction and became a yoga instructor. She went to work and rehab, helping others. And this she did with so much skill, love and compassion. I've been told by so many people that she literally saved lives to the greater community. But the addiction is always lurking in the background and one day Leah lost the battle that she had fought so bravely. To the greater community, my daughter's passing is just a statistic, a commonly held view of those who have never been exposed to drug addiction is that of disdain. We see on news reports adults lying in alleyways, sleeping in parks, destitute and alone. Society sees someone who has just lost their way in life, made terrible mistakes, weak, pathetic, useless individuals 
but this is the end of the story we are seeing. Make no mistake, this starts with our children. If hundreds of children were dying in schoolyards across the country, there would be outcry. We as a society would not accept this and would throw everything we could at it. Yet because the tragedy outcome of what starts in childhood is not really realised until adulthood, we have a less sympathetic attitude. Yet the majority of addicts were hooked when they were just kids. Who of us can look back when we were 14 years of age and say we made decisions that carefully considered our future when making these decisions? This is happening today. 14-year-olds will be introduced to drugs today. There will be a whole new group of parents going through the same crash course we went through 20 years ago. We need the urgency go-to for parents. And I am not overstating it when I say emergency because by the time parents discover there is a drug issue, they are already behind the eight ball. There is no time to learn. That statistic is somebody's little child. That person found lying in the back alleyway is someone's child. We as a society need to change the narrative surrounding addiction and overdose. Last year I lost my child, my little girl. Not someone who lost their way and couldn't cope with life. I carry no shame about my daughter. I feel love, admiration and, of course, deep sorrow. What we need is compassion, support, education, not judgment. We as a society cannot continue to accept this. We as a society have to change the way we view addiction. We need to be ready for those first-time parents and we need to be ready to respond with absolute urgency when they need us. It is so critical that parents have this service as they do if a child is injured, falls ill, it is no different. Finally, my speech is very much a legacy to my daughter's work and reflects many things she taught me. I took inspiration and strength from her to be able to deliver this tonight. To parents who have also lost their children to addiction, I want to share with you something very special because I was privileged to have a daughter. My daughter came out of addiction. She recovered and she got to reflect to me and tell me things that had happened in that time, which is just wonderful. Leah explained her distance of herself from her family when she was an addict. She said, Dad, I never stopped loving you. I was just protecting you from what I hated about myself. I didn't want you to hurt more than you were already. I always knew you were there for me and I always felt your love. Your love kept me going. So thank you for listening tonight. All the best, everyone. I'm going to move on to our uh, next message uh, from Mrs. Adriana, uh, and I apologise if I mispronounce your name, Adriana, but I believe it is uh, Bucciante. Bucciante. Yes. Yep, great. Uh, my Italian's not too flash, but I'm glad mm. I got that correct. Uh, Adriana is a mother of two and a grandmother of uh, three granddaughters. Uh, Adriana is a social worker, a life coach, and a mental health clinician. Um, she takes great pride in her conviction of drug law reform uh, with a belief that it only takes one person to make a change. Uh, thank you very much, Adriana. Over to you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Um, first of all, I'd like to, um, to uh, give my sincere condolences to Mick. That was um, very touching and uh, I understand his pain all too well. In 2012, um, on the 29th of January, the police came to my home at 8.30 a.m. to tell me that my son had died at a festival. Uh, because I wasn't there, I thought to myself, it's impossible. I didn't identify him. Needless to say, that was the truth. Um, it's interesting because Daniel would have been 42 this year and uh, he didn't start using any drug at all. In fact, he started smoking uh, marijuana when he was 21. Didn't take an LSD tablet till he was 24. But he liked to party 
and uh, we had a very close relationship and I knew that he used illicit drugs. We talked very openly many, many times about different things. And uh, in all intents and purposes, I thought he was well-educated. And when the police came to tell me that he had actually died of a dose, an overdose, I just could not believe it because uh, he was so careful. The night before he died on a Saturday night, he called me from the festival where he was at and he said, Mum, Mum, come and get me because I've taken something I've never taken before. And he knew, he knew then that something had gone horribly wrong. I have since become a, a strong advocate for drug testing, field testing. Uh, in the last four months since the lockdown, I have reviewed my life, reviewed Daniel's, and uh, just like Fiona, that, uh, you know, the um, if this was a road toll, we would be up in arms and, re and, and requesting for the government to be doing something about it. The stigma attached to people that die with a drug overdose is horrendous. I have never once said, in fact, no, I did once. I met a person, she asked me how Daniel died, and I said he died with a car accident. And I cried all the way home and I vowed from that day that it's not how my son died but how he lived that mattered. And, um, and I, have, I have never, ever once steered away from that. He died of a drug overdose. It was accidental. And, um, and, and I know what it's like for all those parents who know that their children are never going to come back. So I say that it's time that we changed our laws, not only our laws, but I've actually changed my mind and I really think that they should be regulated, they should be legal because it's the only way that you're going to wipe out the criminal element from society. Um, that's really about it that I, that I have to say. You know, it's been eight and a half years and at times it's like yesterday. At times it feels like yesterday. Some days it feels like a lifetime away. I look at the photos and I think, how could you be gone? And I think the worst thing that ever could happen to a parent is that you look at the death certificate, the birth certificate alongside each other and you wonder, how do we get here in the first place? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm humbled and, um, and, and honoured to talk about Daniel. I could just go on and on and on. Uh, my heart goes out to all the parents, anyone who's lost a, a person to a drug overdose. It's preventable and should never happen. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land we're on, wherever we may be, and pay my respect to elders past and present. My name's Sam Biondo. I'm from the Victorian Alcohol and Drug Association. I'd like to thank the organisers uh, of this event for inviting me here today to say a few words on International uh, Overdose Awareness Day. The sorts of, this sort of event is really important because it allows us as a community to consider the impacts uh, that drugs uh, have uh, not only on those individuals who are using them or been badly affected by them or passed away, but uh, on families, friends, uh, and all of us out there in the community. Um, the sorts of issues we need to think about on days like today uh, and the sorts of approaches uh, relate to the sorts of approaches that we should be using to reduce overdose. Um, it also focuses on, on issues that can help to promote access to treatment and provide support for friends uh, and families, of course. Um, special days like today give us the opportunity to remember people in our lives, but also focus on important pragmatic uh, drug policies that reduce harm, reduce drug fatalities, uh, keep loved ones alive. Uh, we need to put all the ideas we have on the table for consideration on how we do this. We should be considering uh, the role that more in more supervised injecting facilities uh, can have in our community, reducing um, deaths in our community. 
We should be considering the introduction of pill testing. Uh, we should be considering uh, decriminalisation of drugs and the uh, legislation and laws which create so much significant harm in this community, not only for the individuals affected, but the community as a whole is uh, more and more money and effort is put into uh, law enforcement, incarceration, rather than the types of services which are required out there. We should be thinking about the establishment of heroin prescription programs, uh, in other words, regulated supply, to get rid of the mobsters that are running the industry and uh, put in place a, a regulated supply like they have in places like uh, the Netherlands and in, in other places around the world, such as in Europe and in, um, in Canada. I think we also need to consider the availability of naloxone and making it more generally available across the community. And uh, we need enhanced pharmacotherapy programs which uh, reduce the financial burden on individuals who participate in these programs and make the access much easier. The simpler message is to support evidence-based programs uh, and essentially that should be our driving force across the sector. We need to reject policies that simply don't work and certainly we know that prisons don't work. We know stigma impacts negatively on people. We know exclusion and turning a blind eye creates much significant and greater harm. And we should also take the opportunity to reconsider the harms caused by inappropriate criminal actions, sanctions uh, that do more harm than good. Let's consider the benefits of therapeutic justice programs uh, which help rather than hinder rehabilitation. Uh, I'm sure the families and friends would want services that assist rather than punish, uh, that don't criminalise and don't lead to unnecessary death. Let's also consider the opportunity to raise our concern about the damage brought by the stigma, which is so deeply rooted in society's response to drug users. And also take the time to consider the circumstances of Indigenous, culturally and linguistically diverse communities and their specific predicaments. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Hi there, thanks a lot for having me here to the Yarra Drug and Health Forum International Overdose Awareness Day virtual get-together. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge the uh, traditional owners of the land um, on which I'm speaking from tonight, um, the uh, Wurundjeri people. This is the Aboriginal land, it was never ceded, uh, it always will be, it always was Aboriginal land. You know, on Overdose Awareness Day this year, I believe that Yarra Drug and Health Forum is having a bit of focus on family, and um, you know, that put me in mind of my of my best friend Chris, um, who passed away a number of years ago now, um, and who I remember every Overdose Day. In fact, I remember him every day. But you know, in this context. He was part of my family. Um, we were called brothers by our friends quite often, and that's not an unusual thing for people who use drugs to, you know, make of their friends their family. For loads of complex reasons, we are sometimes alienated from our families. But you know, when I went to Chris's funeral and saw the impact of his death on his blood family, I had my heart broken a second time. Um, it was just such a traumatic and horrible experience for them, of course, as it was for me, and we became pretty close over that. Despite the fact that at various times Chris had been very alienated from, from his family, you know, ultimately he and they loved each other. And, you know, as people who use drugs, we often have complex relationships with our families, as many, many people do. And sometimes I know that people I've spoken to have distanced themselves from their families because they want to protect them from the shame and stigma that's attached to having someone in your family who's a, an injecting drug user and that. You know, that's, got to, that's just got to end at some point, you know. 
the stigma that attaches to injecting drug use is one of the things that underpins all these deaths that we're probably remembering and thinking about tonight. I know that my friend Chris was one of those people who would use very much alone, very much not tell people about the fact that he was using drugs because he was ashamed, ultimately. Uh, and I think that, I know that that contributed to his death. Um, it's really time for us to get past this and accept and remember the people who use drugs are human beings. We have families, our families care about us, our families love us and we love our families as well. And as sad as International Overdose Awareness Day is in many ways, let's try and use it as a reminder this year that uh, we're all humans. And together, we can all hopefully work together to first and foremost stop the war on drugs that underpins a lot of the stigma and discrimination that exists at the moment, both towards people who use drugs and inject drugs and our families. Um, and so really, if I've got a message, it's this overdose day. It's that one. Also, that we all remember those that we love, that we've lost, not just on this day, but every day, forever. Thank you. Good evening, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this remembrance ceremony on International Overdose Awareness Day. Far too many people continue to die needlessly of opiate overdoses every year when they can be prevented through a combination of measures through supporting people to inject in safer ways, such as the medically supervised injecting room, reducing the stigma associated with drug use and addiction so that people don't need to hide their drug use and their issues, learning to recognise and respond to opiate overdose when we see it, including basic resuscitation skills, calling triple zero, provision of naloxone, and providing, as a society, providing the support to people when they reach out for help, including drug and alcohol services, mental health support, opiate agonist pharmacotherapy. At the medically supervised injecting room, we've safely managed thousands of overdoses in the last two years, many of them so severe that people were not breathing at all and would certainly have been fatal. We've provided hundreds of people with the skills to manage opiate overdoses and provided them with naloxone and also provided hundreds of people with treatment for drug dependence, including pharmacotherapy, including such as the new injectable opiate pharmacotherapy, which many people have, have, have claimed has kind of literally been a life changer for them. As a result of these measures, we've seen a dramatic reduction in severe overdoses requiring naloxone in the area around the injecting room, borne out in the ambulance overdose data set, showing that it's possible to reduce overdoses. I'd like to think that through our efforts, we're also showing that it's possible to have a more humane response to people with drug issues. And we can show that not only can we reduce the burden for individuals and families, but it's also a more effective response and reduce the burden of opiate overdose so that more people will live through their addictions and more families will remain united with the people they love. Watch the rest of the International Overdose Awareness Day event from the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, ydhf.org.au at their website. This has been In Psychedelia. We'll see you next week, Queering the Air on 3CR next. This is In Psychedelia. For more information, visit InPsychedelia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Psychedelia, Produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.